0: Welcome into another edition of the Big Red Louie Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Lane, joined tonight by my cohort, partner in crime. It's been a long time since it's been the two of us, Presley, but welcome into the show. How are you, man?
1: I am incredible. Couldn't be any better.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear. We've got a great show tonight. I'm really excited about this uh, with our guests tonight. Uh, the NBA draft, obviously, is a little bit of ways away, and there's the NBA is in a, in a spot right now where they're trying to figure out how they're going to get back to the court and uh, return to action. Uh, But there's a lot of relevancy with the NBA draft, and I think a lot of fans are curious of what's going to happen with Louisville's guys who are in the draft. So we bring in Matt Babcock of Babcock Hoops covers the NBA draft uh, for them, and uh, a former NBA agent. Matt, how are you doing, man?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing?
0: We're hanging in there. Tell us a little bit how quarantine has been treating you the last couple of months.
2: You know, I mean, it's a lot of time at home, a lot lot of time with the kids and my wife, which has been great, but... uh, Missing out on a lot of you know this time of year. Um, I mean, I, you know it, it hit. I was supposed to. I had my bags packed. Uh, I was all set to go to the Big East tournament and then to the Big Ten tournament, uh, followed by some tournament games and then all, the, the whole high school circuit of Hoop Summit, McDonald's, uh, Jordan Brand Classic, and all that's all that was scratched. So just a lot of a lot of time at home watching film and working the phones.
0: What, what would normal? I know you a little bit described a little bit there of what your schedule would have been, but uh, in terms of the, covering the draft around this time, how would that look for you? Obviously, a lot of the scouting would be done by now, but how would you go about, you know, w- with the combine and things if they were normally in play? How would your summer kind of play out?
2: yeah, you know, I mean, summers are are a lot more time at home generally. I mean, they're busy as far as just watching film, working the phone, so that's all stuff I'm still doing. Uh, the biggest hit is more for next year's draft. I mean, that that whole month of April uh, doing all the high school events, I mean, it's a it's a head start on all the one and dones. And so um, you know that's that that that's where I'm pretty disappointed, not not as much for this year's draft. i mean i I hit things pretty hard early uh, to take pressure off things later. I mean, in, in I do that strategically. Uh, you know if guys get injured or, or whatnot uh, I, I don't really plan for there to be a world pandemic but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. but you know I mean I'm, uh, I've definitely benefited from that approach this year you know considering that you know we missed out on, on quite a bit of basketball
0: yeah and how in terms of you know and we're, I want to get into a little bit of how you started with your career and things like that but um, you know just quickly in terms of the NBA draft how do you expect this like if you could just kind of put a quick summary of what the next couple of months is going to do and what the impact is going to be on the draft. How would you describe that?
2: Well, I mean, it sounds like they're, uh, they're, they're, they're targeting September 25th. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, four months away. Um, yeah, and, and so I mean, I still don't see there being any kind of like typical draft process. I think it's all going to be done remotely. Uh, I mean, teams, you know, speaking with NBA teams, you know, they're they're trying to stay busy watching film. They do conference calls. They do uh, uh, Zoom interviews and whatnot with with prospects. We're, we're four months out. I mean, we're all kind of spinning our wheels a little bit right now. And um, you know, for Babcock Coops and, our, and me and my staff, we're we're trying to stay busy, stay productive, but at the same time, we're trying to pace ourselves a little bit because it's just. You know, how much? How much film can you do? How many intel calls can you do? And so it's just you know sort of try to take a deep breath and just relax a little bit right now, uh, just because I mean we're probably a couple months out from it kind of being in, in in the main window of the pre-draft process.
1: So what does this look like from the player side of things then? So when when you're looking at, at players who they they're, they're obviously their approach has been altered as well. Um, A lot of the players that are coming out of college going to the league, they haven't experienced this before. So I guess it's not as big of a deal. It's not as big of a change of pace. But um, as far as like conditioning, as far as scheduling and that sort of stuff, I feel like they had all of that mapped out. So what does that look like for them now? Um, Have you heard about any players that could be potentially impacted by by that timeline being changed?
2: Well, um, you know, I've had a number of agents that are friends of mine that have been calling and sort of picking my brain and asking for advice of, like, with this being an extended, you know, pre-draft process, you know, what should we do? I mean, it's costing everybody a lot of money, you know, housing these guys, extra months of training. Uh, and then also, too, I mean, you go – I mean, a lot of these guys started training, you know, a month, two months ago. So we're looking looking at six months of these players training, you know, pretty full force. And I'm advising people, hey, why don't you give your guys a little bit of time off? You know, I mean, give them three weeks, four, you know, four weeks – um, go home, see some family, um, you know, stay in shape, but I mean, just have it be a little bit, you know, uh, a lower intensity type training. I mean, you go six months, 110%, I mean, you're going to get burned out and, and, you're gonna, and these kids are going to get bored, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, really, I think the main focus right now for the players, that, you know, of course, everybody at that stage in their career needs to improve their body, continue working on their game. So working's not a bad thing, you know, even if you're not really preparing for any specific event uh, or, or whatnot, um, but the one thing that they are needing to do right now is that they're they're still doing a lot of uh, um, you know Zoom interviews, and so I mean, prepping for that, getting comfortable on on camera, talking to a number of people that are, you know, essentially going to decide if you're going to be successful off the bat or not. So uh, that's that's the main thing that everybody's really dealing with right now, which is somewhat minimal. But the training, it's just hey, what what are they trained for? None of us really know.
0: Yeah, and you're exactly right. So I want to talk a little bit about your, your, I guess, past life as an agent. Obviously, it sounds like you're still in good communication with people in the business and have a firm understanding of what's going on there. But, but tell me a little bit of how you got into that, where your career kind of started. Uh, I know one of the things that's really interesting about you that your website notes is you, you negotiated the richest contract and uh, second round pick contract in history at the time. Uh, but how did you get into being an agent and what did that life look like for you? Uh, and then on the other side, what made you kind of want to cross over into the media side of things?
2: Yeah, I guess just kind of give you a, a little bit of my full background. And so I was born into a basketball family. Uh, my dad, and my two uncles have all worked in the NBA for a really long time. I've got cousins that are coaches in the NBA, and so uh, grew up grew up in a basketball family. I was a player. Um, I ended up being a walk on at University of Arizona, and when I was done playing, um, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd always planned on, on working in basketball, following my family's footsteps, whether that be coaching or getting in, you know, working to in a front office. And, uh, you know, like every other 21, 22-year-old kid, I was just looking for a job. And so I knew I wanted to work in basketball and kind of just jumped at you know, the decent opportunities that were given to me. Uh, so my first job was with Wasserman Media Group, which which was the biggest sports agency in, in sports at the time. Uh, but my job it was a summer internship, and my main responsibility was to assist Dave Yeager, uh, who at the time was a D-league coach, is, is now a former NBA coach, um, with all of their pre-draft workouts. So they had seven first-round picks um and you know he and i were on the floor together every day for two months getting these guys ready for the draft and when that finished up um, I, I took an assistant coaching position with a uh, a pro team in italy and you know a really amazing experience i just i it, i wasn't really into the coaching lifestyle i think being you know so far from home at such a young age i got a little homesick and i got offered a job by excel sports management another huge sports agency it just kind of took off from there i just went one job led to another and then i ultimately became an agent on my own and next thing i knew i had I, been doing it for 11 years and um kind of talked with my wife said hey you know i miss i miss being like an actual basketball person even though i'm dealing with basketball stuff every day uh, i'm still at arm's length i'm not watching the game talking the game in a sophisticated manner like i like i felt like i should be uh as, as far as like what i you know, sort of vision like my, my true destiny to be, as far as, you know, following my dad's footsteps. And, uh, one thing led to another and I just decided to make a drastic move and get out and, uh, started volunteer scouting for, uh, Marty Blake and associates. It's a scouting service uh, that was put together by the NBA year, years ago. Um, just did that, just kind of get my feet wet on scouting and get out there and, you know, spread the word that I was interested in getting this, this line of work. And during that time, I got approached by sports illustrated to write a series of stories, um, and again, to make a long story short, I kind of decided, hey, I like doing all these things. Why don't I just create my own entity and do all of it under one umbrella? And that's how Babcock Hoops came came to fruition.
0: Yeah, that, that's an incredible story. Uh, and it's funny because Presley would call me an NBA nerd all the time. Like I grew up, I grew up watching the two thousand Lakers. You know, came up right at the the beginning of of the Kobe and Shaq era, I guess, really the end. And and really had a dream to one day work in the NBA. Still do aspire to do that. Just now. I would have never thought on the marketing side of things more than on the actual basketball side. But in terms of following the draft, a lot of people, especially in this market, they don't necessarily understand the the coverage that goes into it and what that looks like. Tell people kind of what, you know, what your your day-to-day looks like as somebody who is covering the draft and what that, you know, because there's obviously scouting, there's writing, there's all these different things. Tell us what, you know, a day-to-day kind of looks like for you when there's not a pandemic going on.
2: Yeah, I mean, it depends on the time of year, obviously. But, I mean, really what we're doing is, uh, so w- with me and my staff, uh, we simulate as if we're our own NBA front office. And so we're essentially doing everything that NBA scouts do. Uh, so, I mean, we, we need to know the players like the back of our hand. So, I mean, we spend a lot of time traveling around, going to different events. Um, you know, we, we start start with, start with high school events. I mean, we're hitting these guys early, you know, two two three years before they're, they're even in the NBA draft, or, or if not longer. Um, I, think I I go to a ton of college games um i mean we we do intel calls you know work in our networks as far as college coaches i mean whoever it would be that give us some you know valuable information and um yeah i mean every day you know kind of presents something differently not not lately I, my my you know i'm i'm groundhog day right now <laughs> but it, uh, um yeah, during the year it's it's one thing that i really like about about what i'm doing is that Um, on any given week, you know, I'll, I'll do one, you know, a one day trip going to see a good game. I come home, watch some film, make some calls, catch up with my staff, do some writing. Um, there's a lot of different, different elements of, of, to what I'm doing. And, uh, it's all just a lot of fun to be honest with you.
1: Well, Matt, to be completely honest, a lot of people that are listening to the podcast, you know, we, we heard your credentials and now I think a lot of people want to know about current and former, uh, Louisville players that are heading into the NBA, Um, That obviously starts with Jordan Wara, a guy who kind of surprisingly came back after his sophomore season. Um, He's a very controversial player around these parts just because of um, being the sort of player that I think a lot of people saw as being, you know, a lot of people wanted him to fall in the footsteps of like a a Russ Smith or a Montrezl Harrell or one of those guys who's a a complete game changer and kind of brings that personality uh, to the table. And whereas Jordan Wara kind of you know there was a little bit lacking in his game and as far as leadership goes. Um, but what what do you see uh, from Wara coming out of um, out of college and and kind of what what is your feel for for his game and where he fits in the league?
2: I I, I like Jordan. I mean I've liked him since last year. Uh, I mean I think the biggest thing with him is that his his number one skill is the most valuable skill. He shoots the ball. He shoots the ball with range. Mm-hmm. He's able to hit tough shots. I mean he's a he's a six seven plus versatile shooter. There's just not many guys like that. And so I think. You know, his one skill is very translatable. And so I, I think there there's certainly value uh, in a guy like him. Um, you know, I, it's sort of interesting you bring up like the leadership stuff, personality. I mean, th- there has been some negativity attached to Jordan, just personality-wise. You know, how coachable is he? Is he selfish? Uh, I'm not overly concerned. I, mean, I know there's some people that are more concerned than others. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a solid NBA player. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be a star, uh, but he's a guy that's got good size that that can stretch the floor. I, I think you kind of use him in different spots, and um, you know, with the way the game's played now, you know, very everything's you know spread offense. Uh, you know, even though he's not a very good defender, he is capable of defending multiple positions at a, at an average level, which is which is still valuable. And so, I think he's versatile, and uh, you know, I think he's going to be a solid guy. So, I mean, uh, from a draft projection standpoint, I'd say probably like a late first. Early second, maybe a mid-second, but he, he's going to be a solid pick that's going to get get a decent deal. I, I would think.
0: Yeah, I've always said the thing about Jordan is that his, his best skill is, like you said, is the most translatable skill to the NBA. He's going to be a guy who can come in and he can play right away no matter where he goes because he can shoot the ball, whether it's you know, somebody on him, whether he's spotting up and hitting from the corner. But how do, how do scouts and general managers, as they go about their evaluation and they hear things like that, they, they hear uh, the effort is lacking or the, the coachability, uh, how do they kind of take that in and, and uh, assess that with the skill?
2: You know, I mean, I think everybody does things a little bit differently. Everybody values things differently, different priority lists, and whatnot. Um, For me personally, I look at every player as a case by case situation. I, I, you know, I want to gather as much information as I can, whether it's just you know on court evaluations or intel or just everything all together, and then I just kind of use all that information and just kind of make a gut, you know, a gut judgment on it. Um, And so, yeah, I don't think it's one thing or another. I don't think there's just an exact blueprint to follow um, you know, th- th- how to evaluate every single player. I kind of look at each player like, okay, I need to watch this guy a lot more. Cause I just can't get a, a grasp of him yet. Right. And so, I mean, some guys I'll, I'll sit there and I'll watch every single clip they had on, on video, just just to gain the kind of game that, you know, all the information I need other players. I could watch it just a little bit. I'm like, all right, I, I got a feel, you know? And so again, just case by case.
0: Yeah, and and the other thing is that one thing our writers and and the narrative that we've kind of tried to build, especially uh, when you project him to team wise, is is and maybe you tell me if you agree with this i think he's a guy that if you put him uh, on a team late in the first round right you send him to milwaukee you send him to philadelphia you send him to golden state uh instead of someplace like sacramento or a team that's not necessarily new york even is a great example if you send him to a veteran laden team where he can come in and have one role right away uh, and excel at that is that something that you think that other teams might see in him as, as need to be able to go on a really good team already and play one role
2: um Yes and no. I mean, I, I do, I do see him being a guy that could go late first round. Like, let's say like the Lakers, right? And Lakers are arguably the best team in the league. It's not out of the question that the Lakers draft him and he plays a role next year on a championship team, you know. And so that's sort of to your point, right? Right. Um, but I, you know, at the same time, I mean, a team that like a young developing team, uh, I, I think a versatile, versatile guy with with size and the ability to shoot it, you, you could put him anywhere. I mean, that that's where I really like a guy like Jordan because it's just. He, he kind of fits every, you know, he gives him so many different ways. You can play him as a small ball four, you know, stretch four, really. I, and so I, I, I like him because he is so versatile. He gives teams uh, lineup flexibility, uh, and, and he kind of could be plugged in anywhere.
0: Yeah, and you and I talked about this in a QA and a we did months ago, and I, I asked you – I've been trying to workshop this comparison because a lot of people laugh at me when I say this, but he, to me, is a perfect mix between Kyle Kuzma and Doug McDermott, where the shooting and athleticism kind of combine. Tell me that that's not crazy because I've been told that's an awful comparison for him long term, whereas I think you're talking about a guy, Doug McDermott, he's on a second contract, he got paid big time uh, to go and shoot the ball. Like Who, wasn't, who doesn't want that job? And yep. that's where I see Jordan kind of projecting long-term is going to a team where he can be a shooter off the bench.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty good. I mean, I think with Kuzma, Kuzma's got a lot more to his game. I mean, he puts it on the floor. I think he's a little bit more athletic than Jordan. Uh, but then on the flip side with, with McDermott, uh, I mean, Jordan's very explosive at the rim. I don't think he's a great athlete all the way around, but he does jump well. And so, I mean, he's a guy that in transition – I mean, you put him on one of these good teams, you put him with LeBron. I mean, th- this guy's going to get some dunks in transition as well as be able to do what McDermott does as far as stretching the floor. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think that's that's a bad comparison at all.
0: Yeah, and the next guy for Louisville, the interesting case is Jay Scrub. This is a guy that uh, Louisville fans have known for years because he played right here in the backyard, uh, was a teammate of David Johnson who obviously now stars for Louisville. But Scrub is an interesting one because he kind of blew up out of nowhere at the JUCO level, and that's not something that you see nowadays. I mean, I, I think the last JUCO player was Donta Smith back in, I think it was like 2004 or 5 It's been a long time. Another Louisville guy, by the way. Um but tell me a little bit about what you know of how that process played out. I don't know how you know how many conversations really people are having about Dre Scrub, but uh, with him declaring and going pro, I think it it surprised a lot of people here in town.
2: Yeah, I've actually gotten to know Jay uh, over the last couple of months pretty well. Um, and you know, the first time I saw him was that uh, he was he was in the tryouts for the uh, USA team in Colorado Springs last summer. And I thought he was terrific. I mean, on that team was uh, Tyrese Halliburton Reggie Perry. I mean, there was a number of good players. Kyra Lewis on that team, and so I mean, guys that are going to be getting drafted in this draft. And uh, the first two days, I thought he was one of the best players. I was really intrigued with him. I, I had no idea who he was going into that that camp. Uh, he ended up being cut. I I talked to the guys about. It. They said he, he had a hard time picking up some of the more sophisticated uh, concepts once they when they got a little deeper into things. I think they had already decided who was who was making the team. Uh, I think it was a little bit a little bit of a political deal. But, uh, yeah, I got really intrigued with him. And then uh, I kept in touch with his coach at at, at the JUCO um, and then watched some film on him. He's a very talented guy. I mean, I, I think he is, uh, you know, I think he needs some work. I, th- I think he's a couple years away from, you know, being able to make an impact in the NBA. Uh, but things click with him. I mean, he's he's got size, athleticism. He shoots the ball. Um, I mean, I think he needs to get stronger. But I, I would be very intrigued with him if I were a team drafting in the second round. What was your
1: advice to Jay when when he kind of reached out to you guys and you guys developed that relationship a little bit more? Um, was it kind of a, a situation where you thought that it was worth worth the risk coming out straight from JUCO to the league? Uh, something that's you know would be ill advised by a lot of people just because it's not something that happens very frequently. So it's kind of a high risk high reward type of situation. Um, what 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 was the conversation like, and, and what do you think ultimately
2: kind of pushed him towards towards the NBA? Yeah, I talked with him and, and his dad, and uh, my my advice was that how it is to a lot of these underclassmen that don't have a clear cut, you know, solid lottery pick type range. Um, you know, there's no harm in, in testing the waters, and, you know, seeing what your stock is, getting some feedback, and making a decision later. Uh, that's what I told him to do. They they didn't listen to me. <laughs> he signed <laughs> with an agent and all that. But I mean, I, I think he's in a spot. I think he'll be drafted in a pretty good spot and get get at least a couple years guaranteed. So I mean, I, I don't think this was like a horrible decision. Uh, I, I just I, I sort of take the the conservative approach a lot of times when you when you're dealing with younger players as far as you know w- whether you, you you know jump ship from you know going to, you know continue going to go into college or not. But um, yeah, I, you know getting to know him, I think he's a really good kid. And I just you know I I think he's he's ready to be a pro.
0: Yeah, one thing I'm curious about with him, and since you got to know him, maybe you'll have some insight into this. But uh, leading, or I should say, following the season, when Darius Perry, in particular, when he transferred, his dad spoke to, I think it was two four seven sports, and called Chris Mack's offense a uh, putting his son in a straight jacket. Is how he is how he turned it. I had heard uh, some behind the scenes, you know, chatter from people in the basketball community in Louisville who uh, Jay Scrubs' dad had some expressed some of those same concerns of what the offense might do to Jay's game. And my my thing with Jay was. If your stock is never, if you if you think your stock is at the highest it can be right now, go pro. There's no reason to come to Louisville, take a step back. You know, maybe you're not the guy that you know everybody thought right away. It takes time. But do you think that there was anything into to Jay worrying about maybe his stock slipping by going to Louisville and playing in an offense that quite frankly might not have suited
1: him perfectly?
2: Not, nothing like that was said to me. I mean, it doesn't mean that they didn't have the, have those thoughts or, or have those conversations behind closed doors. Uh, yeah, no, nothing negative with Louisville. I, I think it was just more of a, a deal where. Um, you know, and what, what they said to me is, Hey, if there's an opportunity for me to play in the NBA next year, like I want to take it. And, uh, you know, I, and I think that's such a, that's such a big decision and such a personal life decision. It, it, it's very easy for everybody else to judge from the outside, looking on in, but when somebody's got an opportunity to make some, some serious money, it, it's hard to, it's hard to overlook. And so I, I always, you know, this is kind of going back to my agent experience. I always try to look, look at everything from all different perspectives and, um, you know, and so, I mean, with where they're at and how their priorities are set in order, I, I can't blame the kid. I mean, I think he is going to be probably a solid second-round pick, and, um, you know, I, what I stress to them is, hey, just know what you're signing up for and understand, like, the downside and the risk with whatever decision you make. If, you, if you're if you comfortable with the downside, hey, go for it.
1: One guy that a lot of fans around here have really fallen in love with is actually Scrub's high school teammate, uh, David Johnson. So a lot of people were, were really interested in seeing uh, if Scrub and Johnson could pair up again and be a dy- dynamic backcourt in college as well. Um, with that being said, though, we were really really impressed with a lot of stuff that Johnson did um, last season. Yet Chris Mack kind of came out and was was kind of I wouldn't say vocal, but just kind of shied away from saying anything about uh, Johnson even testing the draft waters, which was I think was surprising to a lot of people around here. Uh, what do you kind of see, kind of see in jo- Johnson's game, and do you see him kind of being? A guy that pushes towards a lottery pick type of projection if he stays on this trajectory going through next year.
2: Well, uh, just to give you a little story. So I, I came to Louisville before the season has started uh, to watch the team practice, and uh, it was it was me and a handful of NBA scouts. And Chris Mack came and talked to us, and, and he he mentioned David Johnson He was, he, he was injured at the time. He said, "Hey, this kid's the real deal." He was very complimentary of him, and and so we were you know. We knew what we knew who he was, and we were intrigued by you know what Chris Mack was saying. Um, you know, as far as an evaluation of him, you know, it, it was a relatively small sample size because even when he came back, it seemed like they brought him along slowly. And um, I remember watching that game live uh, against Duke, and he was off the hook. He was so good. Uh, and so, I mean, for, from my standpoint, I'm certainly intrigued, and I, I do think he made a good decision going back because he's going to be a high priority guy for myself and guys like me and NBA scouts. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to be, you know, coming to Louisville to watch him for sure. And I mean, to say, Hey, this guy's going to be a lottery pick. I think it's, I'm not ready to say that yet. I don't have enough information on him. I'm I'm certainly intrigued. And that would not surprise me based on what I've already seen.
0: It's funny. There was a story, uh, from a Louisville, uh, journalist in town who sat courtside and was covering a Louisville game. I can't remember who the opponent was. Uh, and I believe it was, uh, one of the Lakers front office staff, they were there in town and I would guess they were there to watch Jordan Wara, whoever they were playing against. And uh, the journalist told the story about he overheard the, that front office person asking who's that kid number 13, and it was David Johnson. Uh, and I, I later heard, wrote a, I read another story from an NBA draft writer who acknowledged the same thing, that David Johnson came on late. Probably doesn't make sense to go pro now. But but in terms of just guys in general like him who who have these these splashy moments as freshmen and then decide to come back, how do you evaluate somebody who plays? And, you know, they might play 15, 16 minutes a game. They score six points. It doesn't look sexy on the stat sheet. But how do you evaluate that when it comes to the the next level and being an NBA guy when you're kind of filling out a board from scratch?
2: I mean, it's challenging for sure. I mean, obviously, the the larger sample size you have to work with, the more information you're able to gather, the better better decision you're able to make, right? Uh, you got to read between the lines. And I mean, I think a good example of that is I, I watched uh, R.J. Hampton, their their team, his team in Australia or New Zealand, uh, came to the states and played against NBA some exhibition games against NBA teams. And so I watched him twice, and uh, he did not produce. I mean, I think the game at Oklahoma City, he was like one for twelve or something like that. But we we, we were able to, or at least I was able to. Read between the lines as far as his talent. Okay, if he's able to get stronger, he's going to finish that shot. And so it, it's not as much of like, you know, how many points are you scoring? It's what tools do you have? And so that, that's what's intriguing about David. He's got he's got the great size. And he's got good athleticism for a guy his size at point guard. Um, and so he's he's done enough to intrigue at least me. Uh, and so now this next year he's going to you know full season start. You know, hopefully starts off fresh. You know healthy. Uh, have a big year, and you know now we're going to be able to evaluate them with all the information that's needed. And that's, I mean, from again going going to an agent standpoint, you know, you, you, when I represent a player, I always pitch like, hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna create your market. I'm gonna put you in situations where you can earn it for yourself. And so I think a full year for David at Louisville, he's gonna have a chance to to, to prove what what he's worth.
1: When I look at last year's roster, a lot of what I think about is kind of the juxtaposition between the two centers and Stephen Enoch and Malik Williams. Um, to me, um, Enoch is obviously a guy who's going to be, has his name in the NBA draft. Um, is there any chance of him getting drafted in, in your opinion, just off the top of your head or do do you project him more as, as a
2: free agent type of guy? Uh, I really like him a lot. I mean, I've liked him. Uh, I was impressed with him at that practice. I was at. I think he's got he's got great strength. He, you know, he's uh, deceptively athletic. He shoots the ball from outside. He didn't shoot the ball as well as I had hoped he would this year. It seems like he regressed a bit, at, at least as far as his shot making ability. Uh, but he he's proven that it's not broken and that you have to at least defend him. And I think for a big man, if uh, you're able to keep the defense honest, that's enough as far as stretching the floor and allowing you know your star players to to do their thing. Because I mean, if he plays in the NBA. He's probably never going to be the best player on the floor ever again, right? So it's just like him having the ability just to stretch it enough uh, adds a lot of value since he does some of those other blue-collar type big guy stuff. Um, I don't think he's currently on our mock draft, but he's a guy that is definitely on our radar. That it would not surprise me if he got drafted, and if not, he'd probably be a good two-way guy because I, I think you could put him in an NBA game, and he'd be a nice, you know, serviceable guy. Yeah. On and the other. Th- Oh, go go, ahead, good. I'm so no, sorry.
1: No, you're good. I was go going ahead. to say on the other thing, end of things with with Malik Williams, um, he intrigues me, and I feel like he, he would intrigue a lot of a lot of uh, teams uh, in the league just because of his ability to spread the floor. I'm not sure what he projects as in the league, but I I know that being a, a six foot eleven, seven foot guy who can put the ball on the floor and he can shoot it from outside. Um, that provides a lot of value. At the same time, we haven't seen that from him. We haven't seen it consistently from him at Louisville. I think everything that he does, he doesn't do anything exceptionally well, except for provide that effort. If it's you and you're, you're evaluating Williams uh, in his senior season and then going into the league, what do you think that he has to improve upon that that's gonna uh, make sure that, that ensure that he's uh, in, in in the first two rounds of the draft?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I mean, I've watched Louisville a lot. He hasn't been a guy that stood out to me much. He hasn't been hot on my radar. I have not watched him that closely as a result of that. Um, I, so I, I don't know. I don't know him all that well. to Be, be perfectly honest with you. He, he uh, as of right now, I don't consider him to be a you know a, a surefire NBA prospect. And um, you know, I, I would need to watch him some more.
0: Yeah, let, let's transition into just the draft in general because there's a lot going on, obviously, with the pandemic and all of the the storylines from that. Uh, but in, in your mind, who is the guy at the top right now? Who's the number one pick? If, if the draft was tomorrow, who would go number one?
2: You know, it, it, it's honestly a tough question. I mean, this is, this is different than last year where we got Zion Williamson, a guy like that, like, all right, he's probably gonna be the number one pick regardless of who gets the first, first pick. Right. Uh, this year, you know, I think there's a grouping of guys. I, I I currently have seven guys in my first tier, Um, and I, I'm, I'm really you know, impatiently waiting for the NBA draft lottery to see how this, how this thing shakes out. Cause I mean, I think, uh, I think Wiseman's right there. Anthony Edwards, uh, Obi Toppin, LaMelo ball, Onyeka Kungwu, Denny Abdia, Killian killing Hayes. All of those guys are in the mix. And, um, it's really, I think it's going to be much more uh, of teams looking at, you know, who fits with what we're doing rather than be like, all right, this is the, this is the guy, this is the sweepstakes guy that we're, we're getting this year. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think I think those groupings. There's a lot of parity there.
1: I want to know kind of what in, intrigues you. The, the player that intrigues me the most is is Obi Toppin. Um, what, what what are you hearing that that teams are thinking about Toppin right now? And 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 where where do you think is is the best fit for for him in that kind of top five teams?
2: Yeah, no. So I uh, I went into the season, you know, high on Obi, at least intrigued. Kind of kind of the same conversation we're having now with David Johnson. That's kind of how I was last year with Obi. Um, I think we started the year off. I had him in, I think the 20s in the, in our mock draft or something like that. Then I went to Maui, and I I'd, I'd gradually moved him up. By the time I got to Maui, I had him at number 13, which was higher than anybody else in the media had him. And uh, I've told this story a few times to, uh, in, in interviews. Uh, first day of Maui, I run into Mike Schmitz from ESPN. And I tell him, I was like, I, I need this top and kid to do well because I got a number 13. I got my neck on the line. And he just tore up that every every team in the NBA was there. And I don't think anybody walked away thinking this guy's not, you know, a top five, top ten type pick. Um, as far as like what what I like about him, I mean, he's a dynamic athlete as, as, a, as a, you know, as a foreman. Um, I think he's going to be just an exciting player that's going to be dynamic in transition as a pick and roll option. Uh, and then he shoots the ball from outside. You know, so I mean, just those the combination of those two things alone of having elite athleticism and the ability to shoot the ball, uh, he, you know, he fits into the game perfectly. Uh, I mean, there are some concerns with his you know lateral quickness, his versatility defensively. Uh, I'm not I'm not quite as concerned uh, with that as some are. Uh, I think it's one of these things where it's hey, we're nitpicking a little bit. You know, or, or certain people are nitpicking on those things. Um, I'm sort of a glass half full kind of guy, and I think what he does well translates well, and I, I think he's going to be very viable to a team next year. Uh, as far as teams, I mean, the, the team I, I have uh, taken him right now is Minnesota, and I think it'd be a perfect fit. I mean, put him next to, uh, put him next to Cat with Russell running the point. I think that's an interesting trio. That'd be a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, who's the guy in this draft that is going to to have the label of most intriguing? Every year there's one guy, for whatever reason, they don't necessarily have to be the top player on the board, but they get that label of most intriguing. Uh, I think mine, I'm not. I'm going to butcher his name, but the kid out of USC who every time I checked a box score had 25 and 12, 25 and 15. I mean, it was unreal what he did. Onyeka Nguagu, is that how you pronounce it? Am I close?
2: Uh- yeah, kind of close. You know, and you okay. got a, a, a Kung Wu. Right. Um, there's
0: not not many USC games on in Louisville. Right, so right, right. The, right. the pronunciation <laughs> thing is a little bad, but I did you know I did follow him a little bit. And he there's something about him that just seems like, you know, come out of nowhere, these guys who uh, have these emergences from being, you know, maybe a top 50 recruit, and then all of a sudden they're the, one of the best players in the country. Who's that guy for you?
2: Oh, but, he's a stud. I mean, he, he's right there. If, if I didn't say his name, I meant to in, in our first tier. So we've got him at number four right now. Um yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of a cross between uh, a more athletic Al Jefferson and then Bam Adebayo. Um, I mean, because th- this kid, you know, he's he's a big old boy. I mean, big physical guy, uh, but he's very athletic. You know, so he'll provide rim protection, rebounding. I mean, you know, incredible dunks. But then he's polished. I mean, he's got incredible footwork. Uh, he's got great touch with both his right and left. Um, yeah, I, I've got high hopes for Onyeka, and then his backgrounds, the backgrounds on him, the intel is through the roof. I mean, this kid's going to succeed.
1: One thing that, that a lot of people around here are, are super interested in is Donovan Mitchell, Utah jazz. There's a lot of controversy, a lot of drama surrounding the jazz, but still um, they sit as, as the number four seed in the Western conference. We don't know how things are going to necessarily pan out in in the league quite yet. Um, But do you envision a scenario where he could go play in a, in a bigger market? Or do you kind of see him, you know, being a guy whose personality fits more in Utah.
2: You know, I mean, I, I personally, I'd like to see him stay. I mean, I, I, you know, I kind of grew up with all, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s where the guys, the stars stay in their team their whole careers. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's I think it's better for the game. Uh, but I mean, from an agent standpoint where I you know, was working for the players, you know, it's sort of uh, I, I think players should have the right to do whatever they want. I mean, this is their life. This is their family's life, where the, where, where they're going to live um you know who they're what, what coaches they're going to play for what teammates they're going to play with so i understand you know the flexibility that guys are, are, are given um you know as far as projecting you know if he's going to stay there and I, I honestly i don't have, i have no idea I, um I, I do think they have a, a nice a nice core um i'd like to see them add another you know another scoring punch to take some pressure off of him and uh i mean i you know i'm, I'm sure they're pretty disappointed in conley's performance last year I and mean, they spent all that money and um you know he was a little underwhelming i mean especially the start but uh yeah, I hope he stays. I mean, I hope honest, stays in Milwaukee. I mean, that's just that's uh, I, I i like I like continuity. I like teams staying together and building together. Uh, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, the interesting thing you mentioned with Giannis in
0: Milwaukee, do you think that, that some of these young guys have the opportunity to kind of change the course of the NBA again with choosing to stay in smaller markets and compete rather than go to the New Yorks and the L.A.s? Like That's kind of been the trend in the LeBron era. But as we transition into this era where you have Zion in New Orleans, Carl uh, Anthony Towns in Minnesota, like some of these big-name guys, Devin Booker in Phoenix, great example. Do you see them kind of following in the same footsteps of going and chasing the the high the big markets and trying to get a team like the Knicks turned around you know joining together or do you think that some of these guys are going to follow that that old school path of staying where they are
2: you know i i sure hope so i mean you know in this day and age i mean the these smaller market teams are, you know, are now starting to be owned by billionaires. So I mean, they've got a ton of resources. I mean, like for example, my my dad's with the Milwaukee Bucks. So I, I'm a, I'm a little biased here as far as hoping that Giannis stays. But uh, you know, they've got billionaire owners. They've got a brand new building. They got their you know beautiful practice facility. And uh, you know, with the way you know marketing is now, I mean, social media and whatnot. I mean, you can be anywhere. I mean, can Giannis be any more famous? Like, why why do you need to go to L.A. or New York? You know, and so I think the times have changed a little bit with that. And so I'm hoping. Um, with all that said, you know these smaller market teams do have a chance of keeping their their core units intact and keeping stars and um, yeah and, and you know guys like Donovan Mitchell and Giannis can retire their numbers and their the teams that drafted them.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you about Montrez Harrell. He's an interesting guy because uh, you know Louisville fans we knew what the, what the, what he was going with to the NBA. Like we knew he was going to be the exact same guy in the NBA. I don't know if anybody thought he'd kind of develop into this high level NBA starter, uh, but it's going to be a weird free agent period this summer how do you think that's going to impact him because he's a guy who probably you know could have been one of the biggest pay raiser you know pay raise guy you know in line for that this summer uh when he enters free agency
2: yeah i mean I, I really like Harold. i mean i always have i mean just you know toughness translates right and that kid's as tough as nails um and he, and he fits the game now i mean because you could use him as an undersized five whereas i mean if this were 15 years ago now you know he's, he's a four um so i mean you know you play with the four of the five and he's just gonna beat the crap out of it. You know, he's just he's just a tough dude. Um, as far as his free agent market, I mean, I haven't taken a deep dive as far as what guys' market values would be, uh, but off the top of my head, I mean, even even in a weird year, I think he's probably gonna get you know twenty million plus. I mean, he averaged what it was eighteen and seven on one of the best teams in the league. I mean, that's gotta that's gotta give his agent some leverage to to get a good deal.
0: Do you think there's a team that stands out as being a good fit for him? I mean, obviously, I know that that's kind of hard to project because we don't know what teams are even going to look like when they come back to the floor. But is there a team that you think they could use a guy? I mean, he's undersized, can't really shoot. Uh, He's a rim runner at its finest and a really elite level rebounder. Is there a team that stands out for somebody needing that?
2: You know, I I really haven't taken a deep dive on on free agency and and fits and whatnot. I mean, I think he's a guy that could fit a lot of different teams because, I mean, you know, as an undersized five that does all the dirty work like he does, I mean, that's useful for everybody. I mean, I think there are certain teams that do value, you know, bigs that can stretch it. Uh, I, I know, for example, in Milwaukee, I mean, they really they really value Brooke Lopez because he's able to shoot the ball while still being a physical presence. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I I, I I, don't have a specific team for, for Harold, but I think his free agent market is is going to be pretty good.
1: All right, Matt, well, we want to get you out of here on this. I guess our, our final question would just be kind of where, where do you think the, the next few months go? You know, we're beginning of June. We're targeting end of July to kind of start things back. Uh, still talking about, you know, the, the 2019, 2020 season. Um, does it make sense for the NBA to finish all of this up? I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of revenue to be had. There's a lot of money to be missed out on if they don't. Um, does it make sense for them to finish? And and then will there kind of be an asterisk on, on the, on the eventual champion if, if they do finish?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense for them to at least try, you know, I mean, you know, obviously I think there's a lot of uncertainty and I don't have that much insider information as far as the the risk of them going back. But I mean, you know, even if they try and there's an outbreak, I, I could see there being a possibility of them having to cancel. Uh, but I I certainly think that that there's a lot to lose. I mean, this is big business. There's a lot of money on the line. There's a lot of people depending on this business thriving. Uh, so I, I, you know, I certainly, Certainly, you know, hope they, they're able to, to finish this thing. Um, you know, as far as the asterisk deal, I, you know, it happened to the Spurs with the lockout that one year. You know, I, I think there'd be some initial conversations about that. I think it would, it would it, you know, it, people would forget about it quickly. Uh, you know, I, I think if, you know, maybe one of these wildcard teams were to make a run, then maybe the dialogue would be a little bit more aggressive of like, okay, they just won because it was a short and weird year and all that. Uh, but if it's like, you know, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, I don't think anybody's going to care too much
0: do you think there's more pressure on Giannis or LeBron to win the finals this year? If you just had to, I know that it's going to be a completely different system. We've ever seen potentially that one through 16 team. So it's not going to be the traditional run to the finals, but in your mind, is there more pressure on LeBron James or Giannis on
2: Well, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily saying this is a right or wrong deal, but, uh, you know i think there's a lot of pressure on the bucks i mean you know Giannis is, is uh is potentially going to be a free agent after next next season um so i mean i, I know the bucks want to strike while the iron's hot um but then with lebron i mean this uh this whole debate of you know lebron jordan who's the greatest and all that i, I i'm sure lebron feels a lot of pressure of just you know adding another one you know making another jump to la uh just kind of like you know seal up his, his legacy but um you know you get you get to be a star at that level the pressure's on no matter how you split it you know so to compare to compare the pressure is a hard thing to do
0: yeah to even even just try to imagine basketball playing being played right now is wild to me but it, it's looking like we're headed towards that direction uh we thank you so much for your time Matt appreciate you having uh, coming on the show you guys can follow him on Twitter at, at matt Babcock 11 you can also catch uh him in his great writing his mock drafts at com. Matt appreciate your time enjoy the rest of your evening my man
2: Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good one.
0: That will do it for another episode of the Big Red Louie podcast. Thank you so much to Matt Babcock for joining the show tonight. Presley, great to see you. It's been a while since we've done this. Hopefully we can do this soon. Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can catch us on Twitter at the Big Red Louie, uh, And, of course, all of our work posted daily over at BigRedLouie.com. Stay safe, Louisville.